Welcome to the Evolve Pod, brought to you by Evolve Wellbeing Group. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Evolve Pod. This is episode 19 of the Evolve Pod. I can't believe how far we've come with this. It's really great. And thanks again for all the feedback that I've been getting from, from all the listeners. I really appreciate you tuning into every episode and, and listening to the stories that our, uh, our brilliant guests have been sharing. And I really hope you've been able to learn and apply some of the themes into your own lifestyle. And today I'm bringing you another story of resilience, of uh, resilience through ad- adversity. I'm bringing you someone I met recently or within the last probably six to six to eight months uh, who very kindly did some uh, some work for us. And uh, it's Alistair Duns. Alistair, thanks so much for joining us. How are you getting on today? I'm good. Thanks, Ali. Not a problem. It's great, great to uh, great to sort of catch up again and and, uh, speak to you about kind of my story, I guess, really. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So before we get going, uh, we just had a quick chat offline. You're getting into triathlon, which is awesome. And uh, I'm sure that's going to come up a little bit later. But to give everyone a bit of background, Alistair was an ex-professional yachtsman, used to sail all around the world. Um, He's now an ambassador for Movember, having suffered testicular cancer not once but twice. And there's some really strong themes from his story that we want to get into today that, that will really help everybody, you know, through tricky times themselves. So it's great to have you on. I really want to start off with getting into the, the, the kind of life as a yachtsman. Yeah. Where do I begin with that? Where did you begin with that? How did you get into it? Um, so I guess for me, it was, uh, so I grew up in the, in the northeast of England, um, played a lot of sport, sort of all, all around, sort of the rugby, uh, everything like that, and, and, and did a lot of swimming and, and, and things, which I guess when we talk about triathlon might have helped a bit. Um, and we we had dinghies sort of sort of growing up and, and sailing in the North Sea. <clears throat> and I, I got to I think the age of about 12, 13, where having been fine falling in out of the dinghy into the water, it was all good. And then it got to the point where I was like, no, it's too cold. So my dad had a, a boat on the uh, Windermere and then bought one uh, abroad uh in, in Spain. And basically uh after university, I was trying to find sort of work and, and had helped out a bit when the tall ships had, had come over to um, to the northeast to Newcastle to do a leg of the race over to Denmark. And I had met some people there and, and was tr- really kind of struggling to find work and, and things after after university, having done languages. Um, I knew I wanted to do something with that, and and they kind of I met some people on a sailing trip with out in uh, Mallorca with my dad, and and they said, why don't you come and do your qualifications? So basically, that's what I did. I went down to the Isle of Wight for eight months, did all sorts of sailing around the um, Solent and the English Channel in in the lovely weather there, and um, and basically from that I finished when was it in the sort of October, and then off off I went to. Mallorca and, and found work there and sort of didn't look back for about sort of 15 years of working and sailing all over the place. So I imagine that the from what I know of sailing it's something I've done a couple of times but I imagine that lifestyle kind of took you to some pretty amazing places and some pretty epic experiences and epic's used a word that's used quite a lot these days and quite often it's used to describe things that aren't necessarily as epic as they should be but it's that I, I get the impression from sort of a sailing lifestyle that you do have some incredibly epic life experiences but yeah is that right yeah I mean I mean I I sort of was lucky to work on a big spectrum of boats and stuff from from ones that kind of owned by the the billionaires and things um which I still can't tell you about because I've I've signed all sorts of documents um (laughs) But just on just to be on some of those boats and, and looking at some of the, the, the kind of stuff with, that was on there, the huge, great sailing boats with all the um, beautiful wood and varnish was just a privilege to kind of work on them because that's that was my love. I loved being on the water. Loved, uh, I loved uh, sailing and, and, and getting to see just being out at sea kind of even as a even once you kind of seen sort of 
a few sunsets and sunrises and things. Every single one for me was I, I, coming back to that word epic. I think it, it just it, you'd kind of see the sun coming up or going down and you'd think this is absolutely amazing. Nothing around you if you're in the middle of the Atlantic or whatever. And, and seeing wildlife and getting to see some of the some of the places around the world from a, a different perspective so rather than flying into them and, and seeing them from the shore you get to see them from off the shore and, and, and seeing some of the beautiful stuff there i just while i'm thinking of that I'm, i've got this really nice amazing picture of being on a boat in the middle of the ocean completely flat calm seas which must be unbelievably peaceful but there's also the opposite i suppose isn't there when it's blowing an absolute hooli <laughs> Uh, which yeah. must kind of make you feel very sort of human yeah it does I mean I, I I've done some as you said there was some times where it was flat calm and and you'd still get the big rollers but it was absolutely beautiful but I I also loved the 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 big heavy weather stuff um being able to sort of because I, I played I played rugby at school and, and, and then rode at university. So I was always kind of into my sport and adrenaline kind of things and sort of being able to go head to head and, and in in those big wins to moving so big hundred odd kilo plus sails around with people and, and getting that stuff, that always kind of brought the best out of me. Yes, it, it did make you feel quite small at times and, and things. But you'd you'd also have that adrenaline kick, and you, you'd have to have faith in yourself and, and and the people around you, but the boat as well, and and kind of concentrate on those things that you could control, and rather than the weather, which as much as I'd have loved to, and probably would have made some decent money from being able to control it, I couldn't do anything about it. <laughs> it's inter- interesting you say that about the word control there, and I've, this has come up a few times on various podcasts that I've I've done in terms of you know people that have got a lot of life experience tend to talk about controlling the things you can control and almost forget about what you can't control because you can't control it so you know and and taking control of everything you can do allows you to then deal with that scenario a lot better so it's really interesting you bring that up as as kind of your experiences of, of life as a as a yachtsman so did you would you say that you were set for life you know, on that career, the way you talked about it really nicely about, you know, the wood varnish of the boats and the serenity of the sea, but yet the brilliant challenge of the storm. It sounds like that was kind of like that was your path. That was where you were supposed to be. Um, to a certain extent, I think maybe it was. I mean, I um, I came back to the UK for a number of years, um, sort of for about a year or so in the lead up to, to, to my first diagnosis and was working for a, um, a, a company that ran around that runs around the world race for amateurs then and, and training up crews. Um, and they're sort of, my, I guess my plan from that would have been to skip it a full round the world. Um, but I think in, in the back of my mind, I'd, I'd always had this thing of going shore based at some point because because of having gone through and done a degree in in languages and business, I didn't want to waste have, having wasted four years to to kind of not use any of that experience and that skill set. Although I did get to use the languages quite a lot, I wanted to be able to sort of combine combine them and, and potentially stay in the yachting industry, but go ashore based um, at, at some point. Um, but at the time, I wasn't really kind of thinking too far ahead. Um, of what I was going to do, um, which I guess sometimes is the beauty of, of the industry that I worked in, but also the danger. <laughs> <laughs> Living in the moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Exactly. So that, it kind of strikes me that everything, you know, living in the moment, having all those great experiences of both both the peace and also the sort of extreme challenges. Sounds like everything was really nice, sort of perfect pathway and really enjoying everything in life. And then, yeah, at what point did you realize that there was something potentially wrong and that you needed to go and get yourself to a doctor to get yourself checked out? So um, in the sort of November, uh, in the sort of the, the November before my diagnosis, my, um, unfortunately, my step, my mum's my partner, my stepdad, for, for all intents and purposes, had gone through sort of six to eight months of 
cancer himself and unfortunately died in, in the November. And I think sort of November, December time, I, I'd felt a bit of a, a, a discomfort in the groin area, but I was like, I just thought, you know what, I've, I've been out sailing, I've done some, well, I was playing rugby again at the time and I thought, oh, I've just been, had, had a knock, it'll be fine. And then it kind of uh, went on a bit longer. Didn't really do anything. And then January, it kind of got worse. And I thought, uh, I do need to go and see the doctor. At the time, I was seeing um, seeing a girl that was a GP, well, training to be a GP, but she was back up in, in Newcastle. And I'd been to see her for the weekend. And, and she was like, you've got to go and do something. So I went to see my GP, which was still actually back up in, in Newcastle. And it, it kind of, it was quite a, a rush. I, I ended up going to see the GP and then they booked me into uh, in to go and see the, the, the urologist and, and at the hospital and, and go through all those scans. So that was kind of, it was, it was kind of a bit of a whirlwind. Um, and I think for me, with the, the biggest thing was I, I hadn't really said, in, I hadn't said anything to my, specifically my mum, but I hadn't said anything to my dad or, or my family at the time. Cause I didn't want to kind of, especially with my mum having gone through what she did and, and my, my younger sister um, sort of trying to protect them, I guess, at that point. And um, I was lucky enough that uh, when I kind of ended up having, get, had the sort of the full diagnosis, one of my, uh, one of my mates from school uh, that I've known since I was sort of four years old. So I've known him 30, well now 35, 36 years he happened to be back up in Newcastle and, and I went to meet him and was just talking things through with him when, um, when my, when my parents basically sent me a message saying, you've got to come home. You need, you need to speak to us and tell us what's going on. So, um, it was a bit of a shock, but it was also kind of maybe in the back of my mind subconsciously, it would, I thought, you know what, something's up here and something's not quite, quite right. Did you, you may not be able to answer this question, but did you feel, certainly when you had the groin pain, like, did you feel like, oh, it'll be all right, it's, I'll be all right, I'll be fine, kind of, it's quite a stereotypical thing to do, is to kind of just think that, yeah, it'll be all right, it's just a bit of pain, and did it take a bit of encouragement for you to really kind of take it seriously, um, or did you kind of, in the back of your mind, did you just want to kind of just kind of just ignore it and just get on with the, the lifestyle that you created for yourself? Um, to some extent, I'd kind of, I did say, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Um, up to a point and then it, and it got to the point where I was like, actually, you know what? It isn't fine. I need to go and do something. That was when it was, but, but even then at the back of my mind, I was like, oh yeah, it'll still be all right. Kind of thinking, oh, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Because I was still sailing quite a bit and I was still, I wasn't playing rugby necessarily at the time, uh, all throughout it, but I was I was still going to the gym. I was still very active and, and things, and I, so I didn't feel any different, um, which was kind of uh, probably part of the issue. I think is that I, I hadn't felt any different, and even though now I, I, I with the stuff that I do, I tell people about looking at listening to your body and energy management and all this sort of stuff. It's quite easy to, to preach. It's less easy to practice what you preach. And even to the, at that point, I was still, I'd still push myself to do things, even though I was like, I should probably not, not do it. Um, so I think, yeah, it, it, that to a certain extent, I think was part of the problem of me thinking I'm fine. I'll be all right. Well, I think uh, if, if I reflect back on my, myself, you know, when I certainly up until the age of about 35, 36, so I'm what, 39 now, I certainly had this underlying mindset of kind of being, you know, you can break your bones and stuff, but ultimately I'm, I'm unbreakable. And I think that can be sort of damaging in a way, you know, because you can actually block out the things you might need to be paying a bit more attention to. Yeah. Um, and I think that's very much a kind of societal male thing these days um, which is probably becoming a bit less now that people are definitely talking a bit more and becoming a bit more open particularly you know with men's health 
um, mental health and physical health things that people are actually speaking about it a lot more and taking it a little bit more seriously so that's only a good thing right yeah yeah I mean I guess I guess probably sort of from your point of view being similar to me is that having with with the sports side and, and everything like that and having that mentality of being able to push yourself through sort of certain barriers and, and things physically and mentally you do almost kind of get to the point where yeah I'm, I'm unbreakable and I guess probably would, would, would that was that probably something that you had mentally until I, I probably maybe 35 36 where your body starts going now <laughs> yeah and actually if I reflect back at the times when I probably thought I was unbreakable was at the times when I actually wasn't you know if I think of all the things, the struggles that I've been through, essentially at the time behind closed doors, thinking that I'm all right, I'm holding it together when actually everything's falling apart and crumbling. So you're completely breakable. But in my mind, I still had this mindset of, you know, I am unbreakable and I can push myself to do things, you know, in, in a positive way. But that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean that you're superhuman, right? Yeah. Um, so the, the diagnosis, what did that... <laughs> That you know, we, I mentioned at the beginning, you 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 had two separate diagnoses of testicular cancer, but the first one in particular, what did that mean for you? I mean, obviously, there's the obvious one about, you know, basically, oh, shit, I've got cancer. This thing that mm. probably you've always been aware of, particularly with your your father-in-law or your stepfather, sorry. And um, yeah, what did it mean for you? Because obviously there's that personal touch with the family, but then there's also the fact that you've got the cancer and there's also the fact that, well, you know, how's this going to affect me? I'd, I'd really like to know what that kind of, how that all sort of manifested. Uh, it was a bit of a, the, certainly with the first diagnosis, I, I, because it was, everything went through so quickly from GP to the hospital to then basically being booked in for my operation, because uh, still essentially now the they're, they're, they're only way they can kind of cure it if they need to or stop it, it is to remove the testicle. So that's kind of what I had to end up doing. And because I went through it so quickly, I don't necessarily think I had time to, to reflect on its cancer and what's going to happen and what's next and things like that. I think um, I, probably most of the nursing staff and, and things in both Newcastle and Southampton will tell you <clears throat> I, I, I'm a good patient. I don't get frustrated with people or take my, my kind of frustrations out on people. But I'm also not very patient um, uh, because I'm constantly wanting to move and uh, sitting around. And so I just put my faith in, in those doctors. They knew what they were doing. And it's not for me to kind of say anything and do anything. It's like, you do you, you do your bit. I'll do my bit. I'll, I'll keep my end of the bargain of making sure that I'm positive and, and thinking of the the good things that can come out of it and, and what I can control. I might sort of help my own health and fitness in, in general. And and we can kind of do it like that. I never really had that conversation with anyone about it. Um, uh, but I, th- I think that's sort of for me because I didn't, because of the speed of everything, I didn't, I didn't really kind of think about it until probably quite a few years later or, or at least until after until the sort of second diagnosis hit me which was a bit of a sort of a gut punch I guess. yeah I mean so yeah I mean, at what at what stage with the sort of the first what's the right word the first sort of round of, of testicular cancer what at what stage were you then when you got the second diagnosis um so i when you first get test when you first have your diagnosis of testicular cancer you go depending on the type there's two types um you might not have to have radio or chemotherapy i didn't i I didn't have chemotherapy the first time um so all i did was that they uh, every kind of week i'd have to go in for blood tests and x-rays uh or, or ct scans um and just check um and then it got to the point where so that okay we've got to ta- start taking um, sperm samples and things and, and, and counts because that's another uh, indicator. And I was so lucky in that some of the guys that I worked with at, at, uh, at the clip around the world race, who was I was working for at the time, um, <clears throat> they they were hugely supportive. The whole company and, and friends that I've got for life from there. 
um, but two of the guys sort of pretty much <clears throat> took it in turns to drive me to the uh, to my appointments. I, I I would drive sometimes to my own ones, but generally they they would drive me um, um, just because they they would sort of uh, wanted to be there to support, and and those two guys were kind of really kind of great for that. Um, so I was doing all these sort of weekly tests, and and then they kind of what was it sort of about nine ten months later, I had to go in for a, a biopsy on the on the left hand testicle for them to check and that was it was at that sort of point where I think probably back of my mind subconsciously I'd always sort of thought had well it might be back and what if and what if which might have partially come down to my sort of career at the time of sailing and always thinking about well what happens next what if this happens or um, what have you um, but I, I didn't necessarily think it would come back or had come back um, so the second time, uh, first time I didn't really cry when I got there, when I got the diagnosis, I was like, okay, it's there. I kind of knew it was coming done. Second time I actually just got back from, um, a sailing trip and was parked, sort of drove up, parked up outside my house and got a call from the, um, lead nurse for the clinic and said, are you, you where are you? I'm in the car. You stopped. Yeah. And he, um, he just said, oh, um, okay, I've just, I've got the test news and, and stuff for you. Um, I'm really sorry. And that's kind of when uh, it's that sinking feeling, your heart sinks and you're like, oh, here we go. Uh, and he told me, he said, oh, it's back again. I'm really sorry. And um, he stayed on the phone with me for a bit um, and, and just sort of talked, but I, I kind of said, okay, no, thank you. I uh, hung up and then sat in the car and pretty much cried for five minutes, punched the dashboard several times, which I don't know whether it was worse for my hands or the dashboard or not. So, um, yeah, I think that was a massive gut punch of, I thought I'd got over it and kind of got, got past that, but the second one really kind of hit me massively. Do you think, do you think the second one was probably, sounds like the second one was a little bit harder to take? uh yeah i think so yeah because at, at, at that time i'd sort of got to the point where i <clears throat> i wasn't having to go to tests every week and and the, the the sort of space between testing was was starting to get a bit longer and for me it was the plan of kind of applying to be one of the skippers for the, the round the world race was was going to start kind of kicking in maybe the, around that time and, and and therefore sort of building up to that um and then obviously that sort of plans then had to kind of change quite rapidly um for that um and, and sort of ringing and, and speaking to my parents i remember i, I went back in, into the house and was sat in my, my room um i didn't necessarily speak to my parents straight away i, I rang um i rang a, a sailing another mate of mine an Aussie, he was a skipper and uh, he lived around the corner and he, he, um, he was technically my boss at the time because he was sort of in charge of the, all the training staff for the Clipper lot and I basically just rang him and he said, are you all right? And I said, uh, you could tell there was something wrong because like my voice wasn't kind of as sort of steady and normal as possible and I basically just said, uh, uh, yeah, Jim, and it's, uh, it's back. And he knew exactly what it, what I meant. <clears throat> and he, I think the hardest thing for me was kind of, I'm used to kind of that hardened, hardened Aussie sort of edge of, of him and, and sort of talking about things and uh, what have you. And he just, I just heard him in his, his Aussie twang saying, oh, I might, we'll, we'll, don't worry, we'll get through this. And that was, that was what really kind of got to me because Although I knew I wasn't kind of alone or anything like that, and I had a lot of people to kind of help me through it, just hearing that was kind of the thing that really kind of got to me. Even though I've been in, involved in team sports pretty much most of my life, that sort of real, real kind of backing and, and things, which you get from friends, you, you'd expect. But um, 
sort of people that you work with and, and you are good friends with, but not maybe as close as, as others kind of really hit me at that point. And again, <laughs> I broke down for the minutes and he just sort of stayed on the phone and then I got over it and dusted myself off and spoke to my parents, my uncle, my aunts and, and sister and eventually managed to speak to my youngest, younger cousins who I, I kind of put it off for, for a while speaking to them because again, did you well, uh, did you feel like you didn't want to sort of burden people with with the the news that you'd had that second diagnosis or was it uh, or was it just you needed time just to process it yourself before you could share it with other people um partly i think it was the processing that i needed to process uh process it but also um I I knew that I was okay. I think I, I sort of deep down I was like, look, I'm gonna be fine. But obviously, news like that is, as I said, is a bit of a gut punch, and it's I, I kind of again I think maybe it came back to that sort of wanting to seem indestructible and, and kind of that side, specifically with my with with my family and stuff, but. Um, I, I, yeah, I, it's not that I didn't want to burden them, but I knew, I knew the score this time, and and therefore, telling my parents was a bit easier. I spoke to my mum, and she said, "Do you want us? Do you want to come up here and and live up here and to go through it? Do you want us to come down?" And I was like, "No, no, no, just, just carry on. I'll tell you if I need you." Um, which, um, yeah, I think kind of was a a, a big part in my mum feeling a bit more calm and, and better about it it's interesting that you brought up straight away just then that deep down you knew you were going to be okay and so there's that core belief in there already that long term everything's going to be all right you know you just got to get through this difficult difficult patch and maybe the fact that it, I don't know about this but maybe the fact that it was the second time through and you kind of knew what was coming you've been through it once already you kind of had that strength in character and strength in belief that you could come through it again um yeah. yeah it's good I think there's a lot of a lot of value in in that belief isn't there that you can overcome. massively massively and I, I, it's interesting because I, I mean I love my sport and, and I bore people to death quite often and <laughs> when I talk to the to other people around it and they're sat there but you you kind of when you see any any sports people it's that it is that deep down belief in them in themselves understanding their own bodies and i think that's something that i probably got better at with doing with having gone through both diagnoses that actually starting to listen to my body and and what it was telling me and, and getting to know it a bit better whereas um maybe before i hadn't quite done that and 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 I think the other thing was is that sort of that deep down belief of yeah okay we'll get through this having rode at university and, and things you kind of you know how much pain you're going to be in for 2000 meters or however long the race is and, and the fitness track test so you you kind of go right well i can section that off and that's going to be as it is but actually in half an hour's time after i'll be fine and to a certain extent i use the same sort of techniques with those sailing in bad weather um, and I think probably deep down that's what I used for that knowing that I hadn't been feeling ill I'd still I'd gone back to sailing between my first and second diagnosis playing rugby running um, all that sort of stuff and, and, and a bit of rowing as well and so I was feeling feeling all right. So you managed to stay pretty active through most of the process right? Yeah. Was, was yeah. that the same for the second time round as well? Yeah yeah so I um Work, work uh, at the time they were um, doing refits on the on their round the world um, offshore race yachts, and basically they turned around and said, "Right, <laughs> you're not sailing." And I was like, oh. they, "You're coming to uh, you're coming to come and help and project manage sort of part project manage the the, the refit, um, certainly the deck gear because you've got that experience." Um, and they were really good and didn't push me to kind of come back too quickly. Um, although that was probably more my side to say, oh yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I need, I want to get back. Um, but yeah, it was, they were really good with it and kind of making sure that 
and people generally in making sure that I wasn't trying to push myself to come back too quickly. Did you did you find then that 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 opportunity to work and that opportunity to stay stay <coughs> active was was really beneficial for you? It sounds like it's been a trait that's been beneficial to you since day one. You know, being active and being, having exercise and having the you know those teams and those communities of people around you. I guess that that really really helped that that what that way through that second diagnosis and that second kind of testicular cancer treatment and that journey yeah yeah I mean I, I mean even sort of thinking back the last 16 to 18 months with what what everyone's sort of been going through and I guess the analogy of everyone's not in the same boat but we're all in the same storm it is quite true and I think I I I've found relatively that I was okay I've been okay in the last 16 to 18 months because I've had that time where I have been off away and not being able to see family and friends and stuff because I've been out in the middle of the oceans but also the knowing that things will blow over and keeping active for me the last 16 to 18 months we got a we got a dog um last year in in June he's just turned one so we're we've been I've been able to walk him every morning and every evening, going running. Um, and and since January, a friend that lives about three streets down, we've run pretty or cycled and well, we've run pretty much every weekend and did the super sprint triathlon a couple of weeks ago. And considering both of us are about 100 kilos and six foot six, <laughs> um, we're not really built for triathlon, um, <clears throat> as it were. Um, well, is there any is there any particular build for triathlon? I don't well, know. I think it's well. You know, maybe we're not built for for doing it as fast as we want to try and do it. Um, necessarily, yeah. I think is probably the <laughs> probably the better analogy. But yeah, being active is, is has been a huge part, and and it continues to be a big part of of me wanting to stay fit and healthy, and and knowing that I'm in control of that side. Yeah. But whatever else comes that hopefully my body can hold up and, and kind of I, mean, I want to ask so you had uh, the second time round. correct me if I'm wrong but you had was it chemo mm. the second time round? So yeah it must have been times when exercise was taken away from you for, for I don't know how long well uh, well actually I was I was lucky because I only actually ever went through one round of chemo oh right okay um so I I think I was in hospital for about two hours um all in all for that and um but yeah I think if if I'd gone if I'd gone through several rounds which I know quite a lot of people do uh yeah sort of exercise probably would have been taken away at certain times from me but I think again that would have been one where certainly thinking about it now if, if I'd had to do that that would have been where actually physically listening to my body and going right <clears throat> I'll train for this week because I know I haven't got chemo or these these days and I can push myself for this certain time length of time but if I feel terrible stop um thinking about it now yes I probably would have done maybe I don't know whether I would have done that or not but it's quite easy to say it and another thing actually kind of doing it yeah so I think there's some really strong links between your career as a pro yachtsman and all those experiences you had and literally coining the phrase weathering the storm to how you dealt with not one but two sort of rounds of testicular cancer and I think there's a lot to be said there of a sort of resilience between the two and you know the strength through adversity and taking control of what you can control and having that mindset and the core belief that you know like you said the, the, the storm will always pass eventually mm. and I think that's a really really strong mindset to have you know to face anything because life is it's never linear is it there's I'm sure mm. there's more twists and turns to come around the corner but it sounds like your mindset is very kind of strong in, in that respect given everything that you've done so far which is which is brilliant I wanted to ask you know <clears throat> moving forwards having had testicular cancer, what what does that mean? What are the ramifications for, for life sort of now? I mean, I, I guess you're you're very healthy, you're fit, you're strong, you're in a really good place, but are there any ramifications from that that, that you have to live with day by day? Um, less kind of day by day. Uh, it's more that sort of every 10 weeks now I have to, I have to get an inject, a testosterone injection. 
um, which literally is a pain in the ass because that's where I have to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and, and, and I mean, I've, I'm lucky because the, uh, the surgery is only around the corner and they're, they're great with doing it. But I did go through a stint where trying to get, uh, trying to do it, and, and I went after I sort of stopped with the clipper stuff I, and uh, what have you. I, I went abroad again, so I was working on the big, big boats. And um, but I was really lucky there that the people that I worked with all had med- a lot of them had medical training anyway, or, or sort of to a certain degree, so they could do injections. So that's some, that was always something that was a limiting factor at times of being able to ensure that uh, I could do that. Um, so that's that's really it, kind of, other than that. Ten, every 10 weeks, um, I'm in the process of trying to maybe see if I can get that changed because, again, I, I know that after about eight weeks, um, my, my energy and, and everything kind of dips. Um, so I'm in the process of getting that changed to every eight weeks as opposed to 10. Um, and then for my partner and I, it's, we have to do IVF. Um, and in fact, actually, we're, we're going through our second attempt at IVF because first attempt earlier this year wasn't successful. Um, and hopefully I'm going to start a campaign with November because each area, even in London here, each borough has kind of a different <clears throat> uh, take on how many you get on the NHS. Um, but and we only get paid. We only have one paid for. Whereas a friend of mine who's in the sort of northwest London, he would have got three um, rounds paid for. Um, he's the same age as me, but and, and hasn't gone through, hasn't had the same sort of stuff as I've had. Um, but I'm, I'm going to sort of start a campaign about that because I think if you've gone through testicular cancer certainly twice and or, or even once and, and the chemo and radiotherapy has sort of wiped out your fertility or, or whatever. I think kind of making you pay for <clears throat> pay for two rounds when other people get three, I don't it doesn't quite sit with me. Um yeah I can totally understand your position on that hundred percent. And I think you've got, you know, given your ambassador role with Movember, I think you've got a really good platform to actually make some headway with that. And and obviously being a a personal story that's directly affecting you and has affected you i think you could go get some really get some legs with that which would be really good for, for to yeah. help other, other people who've also been and and will, will be in your position in in the future um i guess that's another another project to add to add to your, <laughs> add to your cv yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish you all the best with that and uh, and obviously with the ivf as well i, I hope it all goes to plan um let's um let's get into into you now as a as the sports you do so you mentioned about through lockdown the running um well taking a dog for a walk but I'm really obviously been a triathlon coach and done some triathlons myself I mean I'm in, in, interested in in why you took up triathlon um mainly because well the two of uh, Fred my mate that lives down the road I and I uh said we we sort of Ran. We started 13 miles uh, in first one of the first Saturdays in January, and, and added a mile pretty much every week uh, until just uh, just as lockdown was starting to end. We uh, we ran a marathon. Nothing too sort of quick or anything. That wasn't wasn't my sort of fastest marathon time. Um, and he's done triathlon. Before. He's done a couple of super sprints before, but. Um, he's he's a little bit younger than me but not much and the sort of the the clinging on to the 30s the knees are not as quite as good so maybe doing shorter distance and the swimming and and cycling for for both of us with the long levers and having done a bit of cycling uh sort of as part of the rowing training and things I, i kind of wanted to kind of do something that was a bit more was a challenge finding that sort of thing to really kind of focus on <clears throat> so getting back into swimming and, and cycling um, really kind of was, was I thought, was the kind of <clears throat> perfect fit for it, really. It's a great sport because you've got the three disciplines to train for, which keeps which keeps the variation. Um, yeah. And I, there's no feeling quite like racing a triathlon, you know. It's um, 
it's, it's awesome. You, you get wet, yeah. you go fast, you sit on a bike, <laughs> like and you get to eat what you like when you're training, basically, because you need all the all the fuel you can get. Yeah. Um, have you got Have you got any goals with triathlon in particular? Have you got any anything kind of in the back of your mind? Any itches you want to scratch? Um, I haven't told my partner yet, so I don't know if she'll see this, but uh, <laughs> potentially I might do an Ironman or half iron. Would be okay. quite good. But I think, um, but we're looking at a. There's a, a race in August called Castle to Coast. Mm-hmm. So it's a 2.1k swim in, in Eton Dorney Lake again. Uh, 60-something mile bike ride and then a half marathon at the end to finish in, down into Brighton. Um, so I think we're looking at that. It's not, a, it's not they, don't team, they don't deem it a, a race, the organisers. They talk about it being a sportive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I know what Fred and I are both like, and uh, <laughs> I think if you're <laughs> entering with a mate, it's got, of course it's going to be a race. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that sounds great. That sounds like a really cool adventure, you know. And I think now, now with triathlon, there's there's so many variations on the types of events you can do, from the really really short sort of short fast stuff to the really really ridiculously long multi-day stuff and then also everything in between and you can kind of pick and choose from swimming to cycling to running and put them all two all three together or do two of them in an event or whatever and I just think it's um it's such a good way of particularly in the, in the last 18 months and potentially moving forward of looking after your well-being in a sort of multi-dimensional way um it's really good to hear that you kind of you're still prioritizing you know your own physical activity to keep yourself in in good shape both mentally and physically that's, that's fantastic yeah yeah i mean that was sort of one of the things i guess sort of was going to ask you is was have you found that doing your triathlon coaching obviously it's been a bit more difficult in the last 16 to 18 months but prior to that has was that something that you found has helped you at, at, at sort of harder times either being active or, or helping other people hundred percent definitely I think it's um the when you work with different people everybody I work with from from me as a coach I learn different things about them and about people and about how to how to help people how to manage different people how different people learn and also being a coach you do get to know that person on a very um a very close level you know quite often clients will sort of open up about things that are going on in their life that is actually quite useful to me as a coach to then prescribe what sort of training they need to be doing at that time and to get into why they might be struggling with some side of their training why they feel like they're not progressing it's not always down to the physiological stuff sometimes it's the the mental stress of what's going on in their lifestyle that's holding them back etc and you can start to unlock things that are not not really to do with the physiological side of triathlon but in terms of the mental approach and getting people to believe in themselves a little bit more and to build their resilience and to build their confidence. And the thing I always bang on about, which people are probably bored to tears of me saying, but it's understanding their reasons why they're challenging themselves to do something in the first place. Yeah. And I've found that such an amazing process for me as a coach. And I think you said it earlier, you know, um, it's quite hard to practice what you preach. And I find that definitely that sometimes if I'm having a bit of a, a low point, all the things that I would recommend to other people to sort of say, look, get yourself out of this low point. Maybe we want to practice X, Y, and Z. I kind of look at myself and I think I should really be doing that as well. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I know, yeah. all the, you know, I know everything I should be doing, but I, sometimes I just don't do it. And I think that is going to be something that I'm always having to kind of make myself better on. Yeah. Nobody's perfect. You know, we all have our little things that bring us down and pick us back up again. Um, but yeah, I think through triathlon and through coaching, I've learned a hell of a lot about people and about what makes different people tick. And it's, uh, you know, and I will continue to learn that because my, my work now is not just triathlon coaching. It's a little bit more in terms of the well-being space. But yeah. I'm looking into more and more things about what, what makes people who they are and how they kind of almost how people deal with themselves and get, become the best versions of themselves, which is which is incredibly interesting. But yeah, yeah, we've always got to try and practice what we preach as best we can. Yeah. Do as I say, not as I do, right? Yeah, <laughs> massively. And, and I think that's one of the sort of interesting things, I think, when you do do some of these challenges, you said you've done triathlons and things before, you you, you find that you can actually push push your body and, and, and your mind 
further than you, you think. I think a lot of our perceptions of where our ceilings of, of performance are are all in that mind. And actually, the one of the biggest things I think from the, the offshore sailing and, and for a lot of the guys that did the round the world racing, they'd come back and, and they'd be like, actually, you know what? I can push myself a lot further. And, and I think that sometimes is kind of, for me was always a big part of, of and, and has been a big part of kind of going through what I've gone through of going, I can push myself. I know I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Um, but it's quite interesting as well with the coaching. Sometimes you see people, cause I do one-to-one coaching on, and stuff as well on is that sometimes you see somebody and, and, and you're talking to them and, and you're like, yeah, you're pretty much the same as me. Um, <laughs> and you're telling, and as you said, you're telling them to do things and you're like, yeah, you probably should be start. You should be taking some of your own advice here. <laughs> oh, well, Definitely. As you said, that's quite a difficult thing. I, I, I remember so my first Ironman back in 2013 was one of those sort of cliche journeys in life where I learned a heck of a lot about myself through the medium of endurance sport. I suddenly realized that the fear of the unknown is a good thing. I realized that I can push myself harder than I ever thought I was able to. I realized that if I challenged myself to do something that in my head was completely out of my ability level, I could do it. And it kind of just opened up quite a few doors for me in terms of who I was or who I am. And I think that journey kind of is, I'm still kind of on that journey because you, I used to apply all those into sport and now I'm applying those sort of themes into, into life, which is very different. Um, but yeah, I can also remember coaching recently and one of my clients, I was going through his training plan and he said, oh, while we're here, can you, can I see yours? <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll probably, we'll probably leave that for now because <laughs> my training plan was kind of filled in around the time I had available coaching everybody else um yeah so yeah no it's it's really interesting the coaching thing because you do learn about so much about different people and, and what makes them tick and I think it's, it's just one of those journeys and one of those um sort of gifts that will keep on giving you keep on learning which yeah. is, which is fantastic. and was that something that you really when you did your challenge last last year yeah was that was that something that kind of obviously that gave you that um resilience that kind of strength to to kind of get through yeah I had a belief that I was able to do it having I'd never done it before but I had a a core belief right inside me that I was going to finish that challenge no matter what and I I just just knew it I just believed it I believed in myself I believed in my ability you know it's it's one thing to have the belief but you've still got to do the other things that are going to get you to that goal so you've got to do the training, you've got to do the strength work, you've got to do the right nutrition, you've got yeah. to get the right people around you who are going to help you to hit that target. If you do all that, then your belief will be even stronger. Yeah. Sort of if you just turn up with a belief that I'm going to be able to do it, not put all of those things in place, you're not controlling the things you can control and therefore the challenge will be ultimately harder and probably will end in a failure. But yeah, you'll learn from that failure as in I didn't put anything in place to help me get to that point. And you'll hopefully go back and do it again with a much better plan. But definitely that belief in there from sort of 2013 and, and some of the things I've achieved before that as well, just made me believe in my ability to do the given challenge that I'd set myself to do. And don't get me wrong, there's things in life that I, I still give me the heebie-jeebies like spreadsheets. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, definitely. I, I did. I, I had had that belief for the Snowden Six Ways, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to go back just to, to your story and your experience just to sort of wrap up you know we've got people listen, listening to this podcast who may well be going through things you know physically or or mentally that they're, they're struggling with what's your advice from where you're sat now and the experiences you've had that what's your advice to people who might be might be sort of suffering in silence um the first thing I think is really <clears throat> go and see people, go and see somebody or speak to somebody about it uh, sooner rather than later. I think probably maybe one of my only regrets and, and actually my, I don't regret that the going through the diagnosis because I think that's kind of made me the person that I am today. 
but I think maybe it's not is not is not kind of going to see somebody sooner the, uh, when I first felt that that sort of discomfort. Um, and 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 speaking to people, kind of making sure that you keep those relationships going and maintain those relationships of friends, family, um, the clinicians, the people that you need to go and speak to, uh, work everyone anyone that you can that, that can help you don't be afraid to speak to them about it whatever it is that you're going through because they're that that cliche of, of stronger together kind of is a cliche for a reason it's it is what it it, it helps um but and then and then i think that sort of the control side is control you focus on what you can control focus your energy on things that will will help you and, and that, that you can control as opposed to things that you can't necessarily control. Um, so it could be around your diet, it could be around maintaining gut balance, which you can do a whole entire day's podcast on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all that sort of stuff. I really kind of, I think the control thing for me was a huge part of it. Yeah, that's something that I've, okay. I've heard a couple of times. Um, from people who've gone through the similar experiences to what you have is that you know that controlling what you can control and focusing on your plan of how you're going to deal with it has given the strength to to get through it and you can apply that to to many 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 different scenarios yeah. in life um oh mate it's been really great i, I really yeah. appreciate this and you coming on um for the listeners right. alistair yeah. very kindly came on last minute <laughs> <laughs> and so i really appreciate him giving up his time That'd to come great. on and uh it's good to see you and look mate if you need any help with your triathlon stuff i'll just don't hesitate give me a call i'll give you a shout i'll do it i'll do it on the quiet so that fred doesn't know about it yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. we'll keep it quiet we'll get you to the, we'll, we'll get you to the finish line first don't worry about that Brilliant. <laughs> nice one well look thanks very much al and we'll speak to you soon and yes, to the listeners thanks very much again for tuning in this is the evolve pod if you want to listen and like and share review share it with your families and friends i'm sure there's lots of themes that people can learn from so appreciate the listens and we'll be back next week with some awesome content cheers everybody